we have different perspectives depending on where we sit. You in the balcony see a lot of the back of everyone and try to imagine what the expressions are. As, but I get to see the faces. And I must tell you, often it is just such an overwhelming feeling to see you here and to think about the relationships we have here and to think about the history of this place, the generations of faithful people, so many very good and faithful people of this church and seeing the children come up and and how important it is to raise them in a community of faith. It is really a privilege to be a part of this community. That's how I feel. So having said that, I want to begin uh, my message today by kind of cutting to the chase and telling you what my main point is, because sometimes I get so wrapped up in things, and, and you may think I never really get around to it, or, or, maybe, or maybe you just can't hang with me long enough until I get there. So um, let me just tell you uh, what, what I'm trying to say today. Uh, when, when times are full of fear and hate and insecurity, we are prone to search for and grasp that which will soothe us and make us feel better, even if it is a lie. And the church, we, are called to lean into our true identity in Christ in these times, our true identity. Because if we don't, we will deny the world the one thing that we really have to offer it. So as I was preparing this sermon over the last couple of weeks, Knowing it's Father's Day, we're doing a series on wisdom, and I was thinking, oh, I'll just share fatherly wisdom. And I guess the one piece of fatherly wisdom I would want to share is, fathers, teach your children to be peacemakers. Blessed are peacemakers. Teach your children tolerance. Tolerance. That is not a weak word. That is a word based on clarity of our identity in Jesus Christ. That is a word based on courage. So today the text from our lectionary readings is from the, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. I'm going to read it from the NRSV. Paul's writing in the third chapter, let us listen for the word of the Lord. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew nor Greek, There is no longer slave nor free. There is no longer male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's offspring and heirs of the promise. The word of the Lord. 
So, there are no shortage of books about being a father, quotes, and little pieces of wisdom, but I thought I'd start with a father joke. So the father looks to his child and says, child, you'll never amount to anything. And the child says, and and he says, see, I already messed this up. Let me try again. (laughs) So he says, child, you'll never amount to anything because you always procrastinate too much. And the child says, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, you just wait and see. (laughs) Took a while over here, but. So John Stewart said that being a father is great because it gives you a chance to ruin someone from the very beginning, from from scratch. I guess uh, we fathers uh, enter into uh, this responsibility with that uh, awareness that what, what a privilege but also responsibility it is, the influence that we have over another's life, mothers as well. Barack Obama, it was in today's paper, said that when he was a teenager, he struggled to know what it meant to be a man because of his father's absence. Another president, uh, what to him was attributed this quote, It was uh, Lyndon Johnson who said, every son struggles to either live up to his father's expectations or to overcome his father's mistakes. I think it's true that so many fathers feel inadequate. We often don't feel strong enough, rich enough, smart enough, clever enough, cool enough, courageous enough, manly enough, attractive enough, wise enough. The list goes on and on. So many men that I know feel like they are struggling to to thrive and be successful in all phases of their life, work, family, faith, career. When I was uh, in early adolescence, one thing I recall doing was picking out one of my father's shirts and wearing it. It was a kind of a golf shirt, and I was just growing big enough so that I could drape it over me. It was a short sleeve shirt, but the sleeves still came down to here on me. The shoulders were way too big. It was just like a curtain around me, but I wanted to wear it. I thought it was really neat. And my father never said anything like, you can't wear my shirt or put that thing back. Or, he never really said anything about it. And I, I gradually got to wear a little bit more, a little bit more of his stuff. I found some of his old World War II insignia and pins and things. And, and when I was little, I would, I would pin those on. Uh, but as I got into adolescence, I actually wore some of his clothes. And I know that psychologists could make hay out of that, you know, that I was trying to work out my, my longing for connection with a father who wasn't really all that affectionate. Or maybe Freud would say I was wanting to remove him from the scene, but I felt that I, had, I did have some kind of real connection when I wore his clothes 
I just felt different. You know, middle school is a time when you need to have the right clothes. Do you remember what it was like to be in sixth, seventh grade? I used to walk to school every day with the coolest kid in my school. His name was Dave, and he was tall, handsome, super athletic. Everything he did was the definition of cool, and he had the best clothes. I didn't realize that until I just started noticing how differently we dressed as we walked to school. And he had on, you know, the the coolest shoes. He had on the the shirt with the right label. I mean, he had a just shiny belt. I mean, whatever he had on, I wanted to be like Dave. And so I would go home and and you know, tell my mom, "Hey, we need to go to the store." You know, and, and then I realized how much money Dave's family was spending on his clothes. It was important to him to look that way. But boy, did I admire him because I was just so insecure about how I, how I appeared. And I, I had to have the right clothes to buttress and the insecurity. Now, I want you to think about your own emotional and symbolic relationship with clothing. Think about all the ways that we use clothing to express identity. Think about sports uniforms, police and fire uniforms, military uniforms. Think about all the ways we we carefully consider how to dress for a social occasion or to go to work, or to come to church. Even clothing can denote what religion one belongs to, what one thinks about God, how one respects the holy. Paul had something to say about clothing. Now, if there was anyone who was secure in his identity, it was Paul. He had bragging rights. I mean, he was, he was from the right group, the chosen people. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, you know Benjamin, that's the tribe that gave Israel its first king, Saul. Oh yeah, Saul, the, the person that Paul was named after. Yeah, he had reason to be proud the right ethnicity, the right family, the best education. He had the top sense of morality. He was a Pharisee. He knew his Bible and he followed it. He was a man of the word. And he used it. He accomplished so many things. He was a person of great zeal. And Paul had all of this identity amassed, and it was good. These are good things. And yet, he called it all rubbish. He said, this identity, I'm taking to the curb. I don't want it anymore. And he said, my identity now is in Christ. I am clothed in Christ. In Christ. According to Paul, 
the one parent of us all shopped at one store and bought us all the same uniform. We know that some schools have uniforms. They think that maybe that will uh, produce a sense of pride or shape behavior. How we dress certainly affects how we think of ourselves as well as expressing how we think of ourselves. Paul said, as many of you are here, you've been clothed in Christ. Now think about that. Clothed in Christ. We all have the same fundamental identity. Of course we're different. Even within the same family, we're different. Certainly in a gathering this size, our differences are many. And beyond this, when we think about how wide is the world, we are so, so diverse. But Paul says, as many as are in Christ, we are clothed in one uniform. We are children of God. We are sisters and brothers of Jesus. All of us. That is our fundamental identity. Clothed in Christ. Now that may seem like just religious jargon, but Paul takes it out of the religious sphere and takes it out of the, some kind of mysticism and brings it right into the real world. What does clothed in Christ mean? Well, for Jews and Greeks, it means you're one. Now, the Jew-Greek dichotomy was really a religious one more than a cultural one. So he's talking about people of different philosophies of life, different religions, different worldviews. And he's saying, you are one if you are clothed in Christ. Then he says, if you're slave or free, you are one. This is an economic or a status relationship. No matter what your social status, no matter how much or how little you have or ever will have, we are one in Christ. And then he says, male and female, you are one. You are one. Now this is about relationships of power. Because we know that in that culture, as in many throughout history, males have had more power given to them over women. And Paul is saying the power relationships are different in the body of Christ. We are clothed in one uniform. We have one identity. So when we look around here today, we could look around and focus on the differences that we have. We could, we could focus on the people we don't know or how we might be in some sort of opposition with someone or, or wonder, where is that person really like me? And Paul would say, you're all dressed alike. 
You're all dressed alike in Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had another way of putting it, and I'm going to use a visual illustration here by asking a couple of choir members to come up, Mary and Dave. Dave, I'm going to throw you a curveball, and you're going to be over here. Okay. So, if you all face each other. So, they stand for two people in relationship, any kind of relationship. This could be the boss and the the hourly worker. This could be, uh, it could be the teacher, the student. It could be husband and wife. It could be neighbors. It could be rivals for some prize. They could be enemies. Any kind of human relationship. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer had to say that before they related to each other, there was Christ in the middle, that Christ is in the middle of every human relationship. So I want you to think about that. Think about your relationships and how it would affect us if we saw Christ right in the middle of of the people that we are relating to. Thank you all. I'm sure I don't have enough wisdom to know all of what it means to be clothed in Christ. And I hope one day to see more fully. But one thing I know, or at least I'm convinced of, that if there is going to be a balm in Gilead, if the church is going to be a source of peace and reconciliation, then it must begin when we see Christ in the midst of our relationships with others, all others, Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.